Leah Thomas to the wall first. And over the last half of the pool, nobody will touch Leah Thomas. Sex is a biological reality. It's the biology that you have. There is not one single biological marker, thing that happened in their training, coach that they had that made them an absolutely stellar athlete. What does it take to get a more in-depth look into the week's top local news stories? The Debrief brings you inside for a one-on-one -on -one conversation with our reporters every week, right here, right now. The Debrief. Welcome into The Debrief. I'm your host, Adam Cooperstein, in for David Ushery. When Leah Thomas dominated women's college swimming this year, becoming the first trans athlete to win a Division I national title, it set off a fiery debate. Should transgender women be allowed to compete in women's sports? Well, now, after months of often politically charged controversy, swimming's world governing body has weighed in. FINA ruled that any transgender woman who has gone through male puberty is barred from international competition, meaning they cannot compete in the Olympics. It's the strictest ruling yet. And now, on the debrief, we're going to chat with a former Olympic swimmer who thinks that every sport should follow suit and a trans athlete advocate who believes this decision sends the wrong message. And joining us right now is Ann Lieberman, the Director of Policy and Programs at Athlete Ally, a group that supports LGBTQ athletes, and also, Ann, a lifelong athlete yourself, Muay Thai fighter, a champion. <laughs> really great to have you on the debrief. Let's start with your initial reaction to this ruling that effectively bans transgender women from international swimming. Yes, and thank you so much for having me here today. Initial reaction was shock and just really we couldn't believe colleagues at other organizations doing similar work could not believe that a policy that lacked such transparency and rigor was able to pass it at the highest level of sport okay so what is it about the policy that specifically bothers you because uh, there's a lot to it and i know this is sure. one of those really controversial topics a charged topic but i want to i want to have a discussion so people understand the arguments what is it about the policy that bothers you Sure. So I think the first piece to understand is that since 2003, there have been policies in place at the highest levels of sports. So we're talking Olympic levels that have allowed transgender athletes to participate, and there have been no issues. The policy that FINA released, and it's also important to note that it also impacts athletes with intersex variations as well, not only trans athletes. Um, is so incredibly restrictive that it essentially bans trans women and athletes with intersex variations. And perhaps most disturbing, it brings back mandatory sex testing for all athletes looking to compete in the female category, which is something that hasn't been in place as a, a mandatory thing for over two decades. So the fact that this policy has brought this back means also that this is going to harm all women because all women are going to be forced to verify their identity through invasive testing. And FINA hasn't yet made clear what that testing exactly is going to mean and or entail. And then I think the last piece I'll say on, on why this policy is such an issue is in October of 2021, the International Olympic Committee released new criteria on how international federations and national governing bodies were supposed to develop policies for trans athletes and athletes with intersex variations. And 
some of the key principles there were that the policy should be founded on fairness, inclusion, non-discrimination, and non-presumption of advantage, which means that simply because an athlete is trans or has an intersex variation does not mean that they automatically have an advantage. And so the FINA policy, as it is introduced, flies in the face of very basic IOC recommendations. The FINA president said that this is about ensuring fairness. At the surface of this, the argument usually turns to, even people say, we support trans athletes, but we also want fairness in our competitive sport. Do you, on the surface of this, agree that there is a competitive edge for a transgender woman who has gone through male puberty? Competitive advantage is so multifaceted. And if you ask any elite athlete or any athlete who's made it to a very, very high level, they will tell you that there is not one single biological marker, thing that happened in their training, coach that they had that made them an absolutely stellar athlete. It is a complex ecosystem of both advantages and disadvantages that makes an elite athlete. So we cannot assume that any athlete, simply because of who they are, has an inherent advantage. The question of fairness is a really important one. Um, the reality is, is that transgender women are woefully underrepresented in sport. Again, when we look at how many trans women are in elite swimming, at the Olympic level, can you guess how many there are? I mean, the only one I know of, and this is in college elite level, is Leah Thomas. And that's really what prompted this discussion nationally. Correct. Leah is the only athlete people can name. Leah is not an Olympic athlete. There are zero trans women swimming at elite level. When we look at trans people in the Olympics overall, between 23 and 2018, there are over 54,000 Olympians, not a single person was openly trans. In the past Summer Olympics in 2020, we had a handful of trans people, only two were trans women, only one competed. So that is one athlete out of over 11,000. So when we look at policies like this and we wanna talk about fairness, we are looking at policies that are put in place specifically to target trans athletes and athletes with intersex variations. And specifically, you mentioned Leah and the backlash that she has faced. And this policy really was put in place to target Leah and ensure that Leah doesn't swim. Well, Leah is, like you said, a college national champion, but I know that Leah would like to compete in the Olympics in 2024. This policy as is would keep Leah from doing that. And like you said, you're talking about that there aren't any trans women swimming in international competitions right now, but but the argument is about that coming up in the future. So would it be fair for Leah to compete internationally in the Olympics uh, as, uh, for women swimming? Absolutely. Leah followed every single guideline put forth by the NCAA and was eligible to compete and it's what it feels very just heartbreaking and unfair is you have such a hardworking young woman who played by all of the rules, did everything that she was told in terms of not only her coaches, but also the policies she had to follow to enable, to her, to enable her to compete. And we are still talking about policies being put in place to specifically target her. I know there are transgender men 
who swim and compete in men's swimming. Why do you think there aren't any rules targeting transgender men? Well, there are some rules that target trans men, um, but really what this comes down to is a deep belief that women athletes will never be as good as male athletes. And a lot of people view trans women as men and trans women are women. And so it's this idea that's really rooted in sexism that if a woman is too good, meaning too big, too fast, too strong, then somehow she competes herself out of the women's category. And I would say that this conversation is deeply rooted in sexism. It's been very interesting to see all of these people who have come out of the woodwork to say, oh, we want to protect women's sports. We support women athletes. Well, where have all of these people, lawmakers, policymakers, people who are supporting women athletes been when we've been talking about sexual harassment and abuse, equal pay, uneven implementation of Title IX? When you look at the major women's organizations who are working on gender equity, Women's Sports Foundation, the Tucker Center, they're not talking about trans athletes. They're talking about the actual threats and challenges that women athletes face every single day. So this really is a conversation about sexism and about equality and really equity for women athletes. And you're citing sexism, but the women who support the ruling are saying this is about preserving the women's category to make sure that that young girls have the same opportunities in sports that men do. Absolutely. And there are women on the absolute opposite side of them saying we are actually active women athletes currently competing and we know trans people. We have trans women who are on our teams and they deserve to be participating on our teams. Perfect example is Erica Sullivan. She's a, a, a silver medalist and Olympian for the US. And she swam against Leah in the NCAA championships. And Erica wrote an op-ed in Newsweek to say, we need to be supporting trans women and girls because this is a larger conversation about how we support women and girls in sports more broadly. So I think one of the the primary challenges is we only hear one side of the narrative and there actually are so many women athletes who are supporting trans inclusion, non-binary inclusion, inclusion of athletes with intersex variations in sport. Uh, One of the things USA Swimming has come out and said after this is they want to promote inclusivity in the sport and ensure competitive equity. Can you truly have both? Absolutely. Absolutely. But there needs to be a transparent, clear process in place to develop policies that actually is in line with the guiding principles of the International Olympic Committee framework. And that means talking to folks on all sides of the conversation and not pushing policy through as a result of political pressure when there is, there is not credible science or science period to support the policies that, that FINA have put in place. FINA's president said they'd like to create an open category. Would that satisfy you at all? We know in this country and in many other contexts around the world that separate is never equal. And putting trans people or non-binary people or, you know, I think it still remains to be seen who exactly that open category is for, um, just puts people under a spotlight and increases scrutiny on them and their ability to compete in sports. In certain sports, like we've seen in running, there has been 
uh, a third category or a non-binary category, which has been great for runners, but people have self-selected into that category. We don't ever want to force an athlete to compete in a category that they do not want to compete in. For for the, some of the people arguing in favor of the ruling, they would say, uh, I, I told you earlier about how scientists believe that there's generally an advantage competitively uh, for someone who's gone through the onset of male puberty. And there's a reason that men compete against men and women compete against women. Do you disagree with that on the surface? So I'm not saying that there are no differences between people assigned male at birth or people assigned female at birth because there are, but the important thing is that these policies have hinged on testosterone as the be all end all of competitive advantage when even the IOC itself has said that that is not the case. And that is why in the recommendations, they said to take a sport by sport approach because what makes me a fantastic Muay Thai fighter would make me a terrible basketball player or other name other sport that I was not very good at growing up that we, <laughs> we had spoken about. So that is really why we need to be talking about the complexity of competitive advantage and how we measure that advantage. People look at Michael Phelps, whose body produces far less lactic acid, which makes him recover way faster. He is celebrated. We look at Olympian Brady Archer, who has 2010 vision. I would definitely say that, that would, that's an advantage in archery, right? And so we have a very particular narrative around gender and sports that we need to re-examine and we need to understand the larger, broader picture of athleticism in sport in order to really reach a conclusion in fair policy for all athletes. I think we need to find a way to not pander to fear and, and misinformation to create policy. This policy, I believe, only permits people who have transitioned before age 12, essentially, a transgender woman who's transi transitioned before age 12. How common is that? In your, as far as you know, like, is it, how, how rare is it to transition before age 12? I don't have specific stats for you on that, but here's what I will say. <laughs> it is getting increasingly challenging to access gender affirming care as a young trans person in this country. So the idea that somebody will be able to transition before age 12 or to be on puberty blockers is very low, which is why ostensibly this is a ban. It's, it's, we are now at a place where medical care bans are being passed across the country where 18 states have already passed bans that prohibit trans kids from playing sports with their friends. So this conversation about FINA is part of a much broader narrative and detailed strategy to dehumanize trans and non-binary people and to tell us that we should not have access to public space, we should not be able to play sports and we should not be who we are. And that is perhaps the scariest and most heartbreaking thing about this conversation is that we, we lose sight of the actual human cost of this, which is FINA makes a policy like this. There's a trickle down to the grassroots level. And we see the way in which this rhetoric is impacting the conversation in the U.S. and beyond. And at the end of the day, what is happening is kids are being hurt. 
And thank you so much for sharing your perspective. It was really important. We appreciate it. And now let's welcome in Sharon Davies, a former Olympic swimmer for Great Britain, won a silver medal in the 1980 Olympic Games. And now Sharon is an analyst covering the Olympics for the BBC. Sharon, thank you so much for your time. Let's start with why you support this ruling from FINA, which effectively bans transgender women from women's swimming. Yes, absolutely. And it doesn't, you know, it's very important that we say it doesn't ban transgender athletes because it really doesn't. It just bans those people that have gone through male puberty and have a male puberty advantage from races that are supposed to be and were designed for females. Because basically, if we didn't have categories in sport, young, fit men would win everything. That is why we have categories. That's why, you know, 15-year-olds don't race in the under 10s. That's why we have, you know, lots of categories in the Paralympics. And that's why heavyweights don't fight bantamweights. You know, it's to create fairness across sport. I suppose my personal story, as you mentioned, was 1980 and the the East German era when young East German girls through no fault of their own were put through male puberty. And they basically showed that they could make about about 9% improvement. And in the 1980 Olympics, when I won my medal, East Germans won 90% of the women's medals in the swimming pool and 5% of the men's. And that was with a 9% advantage. That's absolutely massive, you know, when it comes to winning Olympic medals, when they're won by fingernails. Um, and having women having fought so hard to get some form of equality, and we don't have equality. You know, at the moment, coverage in the newspapers, coverage on television, financial support is still 75%, 25% towards men's sport. But having fought so hard to get equality, I just loathe the idea of going back to a phase where biological females aren't able to win their own races. Sharon, our first guest here on The Debrief, uh, is against this ruling. And she points out, she believes that this kind of, of ban is rooted in sexism. She claims that it, it is something that is specifically targeting trans women and, and that it's rooted in sexism. What do you say to that? I don't know how anyone can use the word sexism when sex refers to male and female. So sex is a biological reality. It's the biology that you have. So you can transition because you identify with being male or female or being man and woman, but you cannot change your biology. You know, that's in every single chromosome in your body. And it affects you from the moment you're born, but it certainly affects you the moment that you go through male puberty. So when you think about transgender men, biological females, they do not move over into the men's category. They stay in the women's category and identify as men. And providing they're on testosterone, No women that I know have a problem with it whatsoever. So I'm not really sure why it's not okay for transgender women to do exactly the same. Do you worry that the debate is at times hijacked by those who want to make it political and and look at trans athletes as a threat? It's not that anyone's looking at trans athletes as a threat. And I can promise you with my hand on my heart, having been involved in elite swimming for 50 years, you know, I did my first Olympics at 13, competed for my first my country when I was 11, and I've never left the side of the pool, done 12 Olympic Games. I can promise you as a sport, swimming is very, very inclusive, and we don't want to exclude anybody. But sports is all about fairness. It is the cornerstone of what sport is, fairness. That's why we have WADA and the World Anti-Drug Association, who spend millions of pounds every single year trying to find people who try to cheat and get the tiniest advantage so that they can win a race. 
So therefore, how is it okay for females to be expected to start a race knowing that the person in the next name to them has anything up to 30% advantage before they even get into the water or get into the get onto the track or, or wherever? You know, and having been through that with the East Germans, I know exactly how that feels. And it is incredibly frustrating, very demoralizing and incredibly unfair in a world where we are supposed to have equality. One of the concerns that was raised about this ruling is that it would bring back mandatory sex testing, uh, and they claimed it would force uh, a woman swimmer to verify part of their identity. Does that, is, that, is that a concern in your opinion? No, I've had a sex test. It took three seconds. They put a swab on the inside of my mouth in 1976. It's only done once in your life because you can't actually change sex. That's it. Far less intrusive than a COVID test ever is. So why I would worry about anyone having to have a sex test. Again, this gets hijacked, you know, because people start thinking, oh, you're supposed to take your trousers down. And, and that does not happen. It is a sex test is a swab, a cotton bud to the inside of your cheek. And that is it. This ruling, you think, would be better off if, if, it, if it applied to more than just swimming? It went beyond swimming to track and field and other sports? Yeah, I, I desperately want to see it go to all the other sports. You know, I've been campaigning now for four years to try and get fair sport. In uh, just after the ruling that the ISC brought in, I had 60 of my friends sign a letter, and these were all Olympic medalists and world champions, to the ISC and say, please do the science first. You know, this is going to create problems if you just open the floodgates without doing the science. If we had done the science and found a way to be inclusive and then done the science, nobody would have had the reaction that we've had now. Um, it should never have been a matter of just kicking women's sport to the, to the sides and saying, you know, guys, you can still have fair sport, but girls over here, you can't. You're not entitled to it. In the world of inclusion, we're going to call you second-rate athletes, and you don't get the same equal opportunities as the guys do over here. Are there sports, do you think, where that biological difference between the body of a, a man and a woman, where it matters less? Obviously, Track and field, as you just mentioned, running, we, we know the differences in the times. You can see yeah. it swimming, of course, with muscle mass. But, but are there some sports where you maybe think, oh, this would be okay, where you don't need to have uh, uh, this kind of rule in place? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think historically there are quite a few sports where they're already mixed. You know, things like a question, for example. Anything where the engine is a car or a horse and the engine isn't the person, you know, when we compete, we're not competing with our feelings. We are competing with our body. So a feeling cannot trump a biological reality or a fact. And, and that's where we've got to that, you know, and again, how do we rule or judge feelings? And feelings can change daily. Um, I, I just, I can't understand how we are here, you know, when I've worked so hard in over 50 years to promote women's sport, when women's sport has come from a very bad place, you know, we were, where we really didn't get anywhere near the same opportunities. And it's been doing so much better, particularly in this country with things like football and rugby and cricket and team sports, which are always seen as very second rate. And now we're, you know, getting great profile. If then girls are expected just to move over so they can't even make teams so they can represent their country because someone who has male biology is put in their place. I just don't believe that that's fair. I really don't. And no one is banned. You know, you can compete with people of the same biological sex and no one has ever been banned from sport. One of the things the FINA president mentioned is a possibility is an open category. Yeah. Do you think that solves anything? Well, I love the idea that it's there. 
And I know it's a it's a sort of work in progress. Um, the president has said that he's going to spend six months and then he's going to demand that, that people come back and give him information and try to make this work. And we want everybody who might be a stakeholder to, to bring their, you know, their knowledge and their and their thoughts to the table. Um, and I think it, it's a it's a possibility. It's a good possibility. It's an option. I don't know if it's the right option, but I'm glad it's there. Um, you know, I, I'm always going to be glad that I think now that, that swimming is a protected sport for people that are born female. And that is half of this world. Sharon, in your work as, a, for, of course, an ambassador for swimming and an analyst, you speak to a lot of swimmers. This whole conversation has really been in the forefront the last few months after Leah Thomas started to win and she won a national championship in the, in the U.S. in college. Um, what are they saying? What are people, young swimmers that you talk to saying about this topic? They're frightened. You know, this is the sad truth of it. They are frightened to speak. And I think this is one of the biggest problems with this whole debate is that one side has had um, an agenda, which is close discussion and debate down. And the other side has been trying to put facts and statistics and scientific peer reviewed evidence. Do you know there's 13 peer reviewed evidence studies out there. Not a single one of them shows that you can mitigate male puberty biological advantage. So no one wants to be disrespectful. And, and I totally empathize with anyone that has genuine gender dysphoria because it must be horrendous. And you know it, they totally and utterly need our support. But we still should be able to prioritize fairness and inclusion. We just have to work together to try and find the best route forward so that everyone can, can be looked after in sport. And sport is very different from someone you know, who's holding down a job. When you're holding down a job, it doesn't matter what sex you are, it's just how good you are. But with sport, it really does matter. The biology matters. Sharon, it's been wonderful to speak with you. Thank you so much. You too, Adam. All right, that's Sharon Davies right there. We want to thank all of our guests here on The Debrief and a big thanks to our production team as well. Melissa Mack, Ben Berkowitz, and Kiki Interasawan. I'm Adam Cooperstein. Thanks for joining us on The Debrief. Oh.